Well, we'll read Acts 14. I, I wanted to get finished today. We'll, we'll see how far we get, but let's review and seek to look at this chapter, uh, the second part, but uh, beginning at verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. On the one hand, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. On the other hand, the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they preached the gospel. Verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they, excuse me, when they arrived, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. Amen. We continue to see the Spirit of God planting churches by the preaching of the gospel, by the preaching of the word. Remember, Acts is a history of uh, the the church and revival and preaching. And in this chapter, you could look how many times they spoke, they preached, they taught. They were seeking to preach the gospel with the goal to establish churches in southern Galatia. And we'll look at the, the cities here. Uh, last week, we began at Iconium. And maybe flip back to your map, and you can just remind yourself there in modern-day Turkey, uh, you can find the cities as we just name them off. They began at Iconium, which is just north of Perga or Lystra. They began there, then they moved south to Lystra, and that's where we're going to resume today. Then they went east to Derby. And you can see uh, right along the Mediterranean Sea in the northeast corner, uh, you'll see Tarsus and then to the west of that, Derby. Then they went all the way back to Lystra, heading west and further uh, north to Iconium and then further north yet and west to Pisidian Antioch. And then as we concluded, it shows that they went uh, back on this tour, back to Perga, and all the way back to Syrian Antioch. And this chapter probably encompasses one to two years. So we read it in a few minutes, but this was most likely one to two years of traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles by ship, by foot, by horse, donkey, however they were traveling. So as we, as you, as you listen and as you think about chapter 14, this is one to two years. And imagine if you're, if one or two of your life is summed up just in a, a few paragraphs, which is really what's happening here. But we're going to pick it up at verse 13, where we, we left off uh, last time. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra, and this, this hubbub occurred after the man was healed, and all of these uh, citizens of the town came out and remember that they thought that uh, they were, that Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, were, who did they think they were? Hermes and Zeus. And why did they think Paul was Hermes? 
because he spoke well. And so, and there was also a, a legend in this area that this had happened before that Zeus and Hermes had come down and, and to that very area and supposedly uh, nobody received them and then the whole uh, region got punished because of it. So that legend, true or false, uh, they thought these men were Zeus and Hermes, which again, just put yourself in that era and imagine, and we're going to look at it a little bit more as we come to verse 13 where the very priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city of Lystra, we're at Lystra, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates, to the gates of the city, and wanted to offer sacrifice, not just himself, but it says, with the crowds. Um, they were bringing these oxen to, to kill them, to spill blood, and they would often put these garlands over the oxen to show that they're dedicated to their gods uh, to Zeus, to Hermes, which they viewed that they were incarnated in Barnabas and Paul. Just thinking about this false worship, and there were temples to Zeus elsewhere. The big one, you can look it up, was in Greece. But there were other temples to these gods and many other Greek gods, the entire pantheon. But here comes the priest of Zeus. And think of it in the first lesson of, I believe, eight, is sincere acts of devotion may be sincerely wrong. And I'm, when I'm mentioning that, this, this priest and these people were devoted to their gods. And they actually wanted to offer sacrifice. They wanted to laud Paul and Barnabas to be gods. They wanted to offer sacrifice. They were devotees. They were very religious. They were most likely very sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. And we might think of Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Buddhists, Muslims, Catholics, professing Christianity. Just because you're sincere doesn't mean you are right or that's the truth. Obviously, we're stating the obvious, but sincerity alone is not good enough. And I think in America we can have a sappy sentimentalism. Oh, that's that's nice. Uh, but we have to know the true God. We cannot just applaud a mere sincerity to, as if it's the truth. And, and Paul and Barnabas, their reaction to this clearly shows this. They didn't, they didn't try to say, well, that, that's nice. You can combine this and, and many... In many countries, they combine religions. Maybe you heard of the cargo cults in the South Pacific who combine Christianity and idolatry. And it happens around the world. Uh, in Latin America, Catholicism and mysticism are very intertwined. Paul and Barnabas would have nothing to do with that. And as a matter of fact, even in chapter 15 and then in Galatians, Paul would not allow the Judaizers to be mixed in with Christianity. So we have to be vigilant and make sure that we don't confuse sincerity with the truth. Proverbs 16.25 said, There is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. It seemed right to worship Zeus and Hermes, and it seemed right to these uh, Lystrians to, to bring oxen. Hey, can you imagine somebody wants to offer a blood sacrifice to you? It's disgusting. It's grievous. And it reminded me of Acts 17 
when Paul told uh, on, on Mars Hill when he preached and he said, I observe you're very religious, but what you worship, you worship in ignorance. You worship in ignorance. And all those religions that were mentioned, all other religions, there's only one true religion and it's Christianity. And there can be no admixture. Even, even when people are sincere, it does not make it right. Well, how directly did Paul and Barnabas react? Verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, when they heard that, that they're bringing these sacrifices, these oxen covered in garland, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain or worthless things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Barnabas and Paul did not compromise. They reacted in the strongest way. And lesson two, like Paul and Barnabas, godly men or godly people should be disgusted when exalted beyond the status of mere men. And unfortunately, this has happened and does happen even in Christian churches. When men are exalted, when women are exalted, when people are exalted beyond the status of men. Here, Paul and Barnabas, they were seeking, the, the Lystrians wanted to exalt them to be gods. And they said, no, no, you can't do it. We are men. How did they react in four ways? First, they tore their robes. And through the Old Testament, through the Bible, we see that when people were grieving or were disgusted, even pagans would do this, they ripped their clothes to show disgust. And Paul and Barnabas were disgusted that they would be confused in such a way to think that they're gods. Second, they rushed into the crowd. I think they did that to be seen. We're just men. We're here. And they wanted people to see and hear them, what they were about to say. And they, third, they cried out, we're merely men. We're like you. We're human beings. We're not Zeus and Hermes. One author said of, of this message, they are not the message, only the messengers. If it was, if Zeus and Hermes were true gods, wow, they would have indeed needed to be worshipped, but they were false gods. These were only the messengers of the true God. They didn't stop there. They do a fourth thing, a fourth reaction to to the attempt to be worshipped by the Lystrians. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel saying, turn from your vain idols, Zeus and Hermes and the other Greek pantheon of gods, turn from them, but turn to the living God. And, uh, of course, the living God is the creator. He quotes Psalm 146, which is a wonderful psalm. I encourage you to read it this afternoon. But he quotes Psalm 146, verse 6, that God is the creator of heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Lesson three, the gospel calls all men to turn from dead idols and to turn to the living God. The gospel cause all to turn from dead idols and turn to the living God. Remember, 
when the gospel is preached and presented, and when we tell others, there's always a from and a to. It's repentance from sinful acts, turning to having faith in God. So when we tell someone the nuts and bolts of the gospel, it has to have a from and a to. Repentance and faith. And that's exactly what Paul told the Lystrians. You have to turn from these vain, useless, worthless idols. And they had statues of Zeus and Hermes. And they would offer sacrifices. They had a temple. They were very religious. But it was vain. It was empty. It was useless. It's an interesting study. And and maybe there could be a book written upon it or maybe a series, or at least one sermon, trace from Genesis to Revelation the emphasis on God as the Creator. Obviously in Genesis it proclaims, in the beginning God. And all through the Old and the New Testament it goes back again and again and again when, when the Gospel is preached, when the truth is proclaimed, we must receive God as the Creator. It's, it's something that is undeniable, and even in our confession of faith, there's a chapter on of God and creation. It's it's a uh, it's non-negotiable. We must receive God as the Creator, and even to people that didn't know God, Paul would even preach this truth. And it's most likely a a a stab at Zeus, who was the the thunder god, the god of the rain, the god of the sky, the god of the sun. No. He's a false God. He's not a true God at all. But the God of the Bible, He is the Creator who made the earth and the sea and all that is in them. This truth of proclaiming God as Creator has always been central to the message of the Bible from beginning to end. And even today, we would teach and proclaim that God is the Creator. And when people don't believe that, look at the results. When there is no creator, when God didn't make us, you know, the implications, male and female, one man, one woman, uh, worshiping the true God, the God of creation, and even Jesus, John 1, 1, uh, and many passages that you can go through, God as creator is non-negotiable. It's one of the tenets of the faith. And Paul brings it into his sermon here as he is striking down the false god, Zeus, most likely. Again, read Psalm 146. It's 11 verses or so. It has a lot in it. Verse 16, which this is, this is a, a beautiful verse. Uh, verse 16 and 17. In the generations gone by, He, that is God, permitted all the nations to go their own ways. Verse 17. And yet, He did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Wow, these words are precious. For thousands of years, the God permitted the nations to go their own way. Uh, This is a bit challenging to understand, uh, for myself at least. Obviously, they were accountable to God. The nations didn't get a free pass because... Uh, they were not Israel. Um, no. Uh, Romans 1 tells us, since the creation of the world, there's been a witness that God is God and men are accountable. Yet, 
there were no prophets generally going to all the world. God had his people Israel. Yes, some Gentiles were saved, but it was not the gospel for the nations, um, generally speaking. So God permitted the nations to go their own way. Verse 17 is really the gem. And yet, it's like, but God, and yet, he, God, had a witness to the nations. And who was the witness? It was he himself. How so? He did good and gave. It's good in the moral sense. He did moral good to all the world. How did he do good? He gave. He gave. And we're going to look at what he gave, but lesson four, exalt the goodness of God who gives gifts and gladness to all. Exalt the goodness of God who gives gifts and gladness to all. It says, what did he give? He, he gave rain and fruitful seasons that filled or satisfied the hearts of, of all men and women, boys and girls, with food and gladness. I was just talking to, to some of you here this morning about food. Does anyone here not like food? I mean, you might have favorite foods, seafood. You might like Italian food. You might like this food or that food. You might like Dark chocolate? Yes. There are so many things that God gives, not to be worshipped, but to be enjoyed. And even to unbelievers, even we, before we knew God, God gave us good gifts. He gave the rain to come down. He gave fruitful seasons to grow fruit trees, to grow grain, to make wheat, to make bread. He did all that, which results in gladness, in happiness, in rejoicing. This is what God, this is the message that Paul was giving to these Lystrians who were idolaters. He's, he's in a sense wooing them to see that God has been so kind to you. It reminds me of a verse, I actually have it on a mug, uh, for Ecclesiastes 2.25. Great verse. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Every meal a person takes is a gift from God. Every time you could sit down and have a warm bowl of soup on a hot day, that's a gift from God. Amen. That's a reason that before we eat, or at least while we're eating, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this glass of ice water or this glass of hot tea or maybe you're a coffee drinker. I won't hold it against you. Smells good. I don't like it, but do you thank God for the coffee you drink? for the orange juice, for the delights of this world. Paul tells the Lystrians that those gifts should draw men out toward God. The goodness of God. Paul says in Romans 1, the goodness of God which leads to repentance. We owe God thanks. Even as when we were unbelievers, He gives to all men food and gladness. Yes. 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 
Yes, godless men then and godless men now enjoy a good meal, a gift from God. And in so many nations and parts of the world, we have grocery stores. There's a restaurant on every corner. You can cook any food you want. I mean, living here in the P&W, we have food from all over the world. And yet, most do not give thanks to God. But it's a debt they owe. It's the goodness of God to all. Jesus said it this way, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The, some call it the common grace of God, the benevolence, the, the, the goodness of God to the world. I mean, it, it's convicting even as a believer to let us give thanks. Uh, we have abundance and, and I think we can even tell our non-Christian friends, look what God has given you. Jobs and homes and heat and clothes and food to make you glad. We just had this Christmas season, uh, religious or not, people put up beautiful trees and ornaments and they have turkeys for dinner and they, they give gifts and they get gifts. Those should all be received from God. The goodness of God. May He use it even to convict men and draw them to Christ. So Paul says, in light of this, in light of God's goodness, you should repent of your vain idols and turn to the good God. Turn away from the false gods who give you nothing to the true God who gives you abundance. And even gladness. It's interesting that he doesn't say he just gives you food. He makes you happy. And a lot of verses in Ecclesiastes bear this out. That God, under the sun, gives men and women families and, and food and the delights of this world to enjoy. Verse 18. Those people did not have faith, most of them. They did not receive this. Verse 18. Even after Paul said all this, and, and maybe he said more, we have, this is a snapshot. Surely he said more. We don't have the full-blown sermon, but at least based on what he says, and, and Luke records it, even after saying these things with difficulty, they restrained or stopped the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. The people were so blinded that even after he gave his message of the goodness of God, no, they still wanted to sacrifice. He laid out a clear case of God as the good creator, the the caring creator, the giving creator, yet they still wanted to sacrifice to them thinking they were Zeus and Hermes, maybe just to cover their bases. Yeah, okay, uh, that may be true, but we just want to make sure that we don't get penalized by Zeus and Hermes. We're going to offer these sacrifices. And, and they said no. And, and thankfully, uh, I guess the, the good piece in one sense is they did, uh, they ultimately stopped them from offering the sacrifices but with great difficulty. When the truth is preached to deaf ears, it will never be heard. There was not a revival here. There was not a general repentance. No, with difficulty, they stopped them from offering the sacrifices. Lesson five, thinking of of these Lystrians seeking to offer these sacrifices again, see the delusional and deadly effects of persistent unbelief. See the delusional and deadly effects of persistent unbelief. Again, they thought that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. 
Unbelief will create crazy stories, craziness, comic book heroes. You know, you might you might watch Disney and see some of these uh, Olympians and, and and gods who are no gods at all. They're they're myths and comic book heroes. Yet people were worshiping them. Do you see the insanity of unbelief? It's delusional. Imagine if a group of people took uh, Superman, you know, the comic, and said, he's our God. We're going to bow to him. We're going to worship him. Or any other uh, fantastical hero that that you could bring up, human beings in their unbelief can create gods out of anything. Trees and stones and sticks that are no gods at all. Beware. It can get mixed in. Paul often preached against gods made with hands that are no gods at all. In uh, Acts 19.26, it was known of him that he preached in that way. He preached against gods made with hands that are no gods at all. And you may have already thought of it, Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold. They, the work of human hands. We, in a, sin, in a sinful nature, we make gods with our own hands. What type of God is that? The true God made us. But humans make gods with their own hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They, they, they fashion a little statue and they put a little mouth on it. They cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. They're dead. Those who make them will become like them. That's the deadly aspect of persistent unbelief. If you make idols, and it doesn't have to be just a a statue of Buddha, it may be yourself. It may be your hobbies. It may be uh, your job. It may be your spouse or your children. If you put anything in God's place and you worship it, you will become like it in the sense that it's a dead idol. It's vain. Everyone who trusts in them, they will become like them. They're dead idols and no gods at all. When I was in Madrid a few months ago, the hotel I stayed in, I just went for a walk around the town and I came around the corner and right here I am in Madrid and I see the Church of Scientology. I've heard of it. Tom Cruise, huge proponent. Scientology. Here it is over Madrid. They are evangelistic. I, I didn't even realize they're around the world. Here I am finding this beautiful storefront, snazzy, trying to draw people in. Do you know some of the things that those people believe? They believe in reincarnation and that past lives took place in extraterrestrial cultures. They involve an alien called Zenu, described as the planetary ruler 70 million years ago who brought billions of aliens to Earth. And that's what Tom Cruise believes. The folly of worshiping idols is nothing new. It's still happening today. Intelligent people believe these things. We listed off a bunch of false religions earlier. 
Unbelief, in one sense, will believe anything and everything except the truth. Will create religions that you just, uh, again, it's delusional. And maybe a little closer to home. Also when I was in Madrid, Catholicism. I saw these magnificent cathedrals. I mean, to the eye, you're spellbound. When I went in that place of idolatry, I was grieved for the millions of people that bow to idols. And even today, so many are so close and hear about Christ and yet going to hell. Those dear souls are partaking of the goodness of God and so close to hearing about Christ and yet are so wrapped in idolatry. Worshipping people, saints, Mary. It's a pretty clear parallel. The way that Paul and Barnabas were going to be worshipped is how Roman Catholics view Mary and the saints praying to them, getting another mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. Pray for our Catholic friends. They are lost if they're clinging to another Messiah, another mediator to get to heaven, or their own good works. Idolatry is alive and well. Verse 19, back to our text. Again, they wanted to offer sacrifices. Paul and Barnabas were preaching to them, turned to the true God. It's about to get a lot worse. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They're not only embracing false religion, they will murder others who teach the true religion. Apparently, these Jews had tracked down and followed Paul and Barnabas. Hundreds of miles. Do you remember someone else that was tracking down believers? Paul himself. He went out and he chased people. He went to imprison and kill and torture Christians. Now those same types of people are coming after him and Barnabas. And then all these crowds, is this the, it seems it's the same occasion, the same crowds that just wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas now want to kill them. How fickle humanity is. Going from worshiping you to wanting to kill you. In a few moments, maybe. We don't have the timeline exactly, but here came these Jews. We heard about the Jews at Antioch in, in chapter 13, verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. So these Jews had already been giving a lot of trouble to Paul and Barnabas. And then how about at Iconium, earlier in our chapter, verse 5, chapter 14, 5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to treat them abusively and to stone them. They already had plan this stoning, the Jews and the Gentiles. But here in verse 19, it's talking about the Jews. And they stirred up the crowd. Somehow they even got the Gentile crowds to come to their side. 
Because they, they would rather make friends with pagans to destroy the Christians than to repent. It's so ironic that the Jews would work with the Gentiles to seek to destroy the Christian truth. I guess the common enemy makes unlikely bedfellows, as the saying goes. But they got all the people, the ones that just most likely wanted to worship them, now they want to kill them. Unbelief. It's blinding. They stone Paul. The apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the Jews, who brought the good news, they stoned him. Paul refers to this later in 2 Corinthians 11. Once I was stoned. Acts 9, 15 and 16. Remember when Saul of Tarsus was converted by Jesus Christ, Jesus said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was not only called to preach, but to suffer for Christ. Yes, brother. I don't think we have the specifics, but it, it sounded like people would pick up small stones and lots of people with, you know, I mean, if you imagine a stone that could fit in your hand and dozens of people are throwing those stones at you, that seemed to be, but I don't think we have more details than that. But obviously, they were big enough and it, there was enough stones to, to kill people and almost killed Paul. So... I think they were probably to fit in their hands and everybody was just pummeling the guy as hard as they could. Terrible. I mean, if you if you put yourself in the... Con- they were just preaching the gospel and now they're throwing stones. They were blinded by the devil. But that's what Jesus had called Paul to go through. Turn over to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. We'll read 10 through 12. Listen to this, almost a commentary or application that Paul gives of this very situation. 2 Timothy 3.10. Now you, he's talking to Timothy, follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Maybe stop there, Paul. But verse 11, persecutions and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He used several examples, but particularly his stoning at Lystra to instruct Timothy This is what it's going to take. If you're going to follow Christ, you must endure persecutions. Yet the Lord delivered him out of them all. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You know, we've talked about the, you know, you could buy at uh, the Christian bookstore the promise boxes. Uh, who, Who wants to pull the promise out that I promise you, you will be persecuted if you live godly. 
That's what Paul experienced and God's people have and are, even as we mentioned last week. Well, we'll wrap it up. Yes, brother. No, please. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yes, and the list that he gives in Corinthians of beaten with rods and 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 all the things that he went through, and ultimately he he was killed, and and some believers yet even then you go to heaven, so you are rescued, and even in the ultimate sense, but even in these temporary sense uh, examples, he was he was rescued. And uh, we'll do. We'll look at verse twenty and be finished for today. But while the disciples stood around him, so it seems that these these new believers or believers that had followed him, the disciples, they they, they came to check on him, and they probably came to bury him because he had been dragged out of this city. But he got up. They thought he was dead. He was unconscious, at least. He got up and he, he entered the city. He entered, went back to Lystra because he was. they drug him outside the city. He went back through the city gates. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. So, did he die and was resurrected? It doesn't say. You know, um, it, He could have been just unconscious. Whatever the case, the man was stoned and, and God delivered him. Miraculous or providential, was he, was he, I don't want to say merely, was he knocked unconscious and, and bloodied and, and broken, uh, yet by the grace of God, by the power of God, he got up. Psalm 68, 20. God is to us a God of deliverances. To God the Lord belong escapes from death. He was rescued. God got him up. Whether a miracle, even bringing him back to life, or providence that he was he was knocked unconscious and yet alive, the Lord preserved his life. As the disciples saw it, imagine they were probably crying and, and praying for him. And then he opened his eyes and got up. I'm sure they cheered and cried tears of joy. And yet he gets up and goes back in the city. Why or what happened there, we don't know. But the next day he leaves promptly. He flees that city. But he will come back later. He goes down to Derby, which was 93 miles away. You ready to go for a 93-mile walk after you've just been stoned? Even a 93-mile drive was not going to be enjoyable. He, he travels, you know, maybe two weeks. Uh, is he preaching as he goes? Um, he, he heads to Derby. 93 miles away, traveling east to, excuse me, Derby was east of Lystra. And likely he travels on this highway or this road called the Via Sebaste. And surely he's preaching as he goes. It's almost two years he's traveling on this, this preaching trip to, to preach the gospel, to establish churches. Finally he's stoned. He doesn't say, I'm heading back to Antioch right now. I'm done. No, he, he keeps going and we're gonna hear next time. He keeps preaching. What a inspiration. What an example to follow. 
If we think we're persecuted, have you ever been stoned? Even maybe you had someone spit on you or, or throw something at you, but this man was stoned to almost to death. And others have been stoned to death. So we noted, we'll go in reverse, <clears throat> see the persistent, excuse me, see the delusional and deadly effects of persistent unbelief. Then exalt the goodness of God who gives gifts and gladness to all, even those who stone His people. The gospel calls all to turn from dead, dead idols and turn to the living God. Turn from and turn to. That's the gospel call. Godly men or godly people should be disgusted when exalted beyond the status of mere men. And, and when you see it, maybe, maybe you go to, uh, maybe you move away and have to find a church. Even in good churches, men can be exalted way too high. Godly men are disgusted when they're exalted. And we, God forbid, Whatever be, we should esteem those who labor among us, but they are yet mere men, not God or anything in between. And then the sincere acts of devotion may be sincerely wrong, whether worshiping Zeus and Hermes, whether the Church of Scientology or mystical idolatrous Catholicism. Any questions or comments before we close in prayer? Yes, brother. Yes, the Jews who should have known the true God and the Gentiles who worshipped the false gods, they all thought they were on the right side. Yeah, yes. They thought they did, yes, but they didn't. Yeah, God's purpose, it was God's purpose for him to be stoned, but not to die. Yes. Anything else? Okay. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word, which is profitable for teaching. Father, may these lessons and meditations be profitable for your people. May we know you better, you are so good to sinners and how much more to your people. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us ears to hear the gospel. May we be humble. May we never be puffed up or arrogant or think highly of ourselves, but to think highly of Christ. May we proclaim the message to our friends and family, our neighbors, even to the world that you are good and you call all people to turn from their sin and their vain idols to you, the living God. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, how you used him as your instrument, even in his suffering, even when he was stoned, to credential his ministry that Christ said this would happen. And that when he wrote the epistles to the churches, when he preached, 
he was not merely uh, talking about platitudes, but he had been stoned for Christ. Lord God, may we be as zealous for Christ and imitate Paul as much as he imitated Christ and even Barnabas and learn lessons uh, and bless the continuance of this study that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.